0: time this doesn't look as attractive as it once did because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. and They've got a vision and a mission for their life. Let's move right into, let's move right into the word of God because I feel like God wants to say some things to us through, through his word and, uh, and then we'll get back into some prayer ministry and just feel like the Lord's going to heal some people tonight. He's going to deliver some people tonight because it's his will and because he takes great delight in blessing his sons and daughters. Raise your hand if you're a son or a daughter of the living God. Amen. Amen. So let's. We're going to get right into uh, the Word of God, Word of God tonight. I want to go straight to Second Kings, chapter five. How many of you enjoyed Coram Deo so far? We're not done yet. If you're a little bit tired, I just encourage you. You don't want to. This is not the night. This is not the service that you kind of want to. I feel like this is going to be one of those nights where the Lord's going to mark so many of your hearts that you're going to just look back years and years and years from now. I have those experiences. Some of us who've grown up in church, and we have those memories with Jesus. Those sacred memories where we were at youth camp or retreat or conference, and the Lord just spoke to us in an unprecedented way. I just have a sense in my spirit that the. The Lord wants to do that for so many of you. But here's the temptation to kind of veer off. Let your mind wander. It's kind of like we were talking about last night. See, the devil wants you to stay right where you are. It was all just a setup. He wants you to remain in the spiritual level where you are now. But I want you to fight against that. I want you to push back on the on the temptation. I want you to reject. I want you to be like Elisha who said to Elijah, oh, no, 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 no. I cannot stay here. I'm not sure where I'm going, but I just can't stay here here because here is not working for me. Here no longer satisfied the, satisfies the craving and the deep longing and the desire in my heart. I don't know where I'm going, but I know where I'm not staying. And that is here. I've got to press on with Jesus Christ. Is that the cry of your heart tonight? Come on, come on. I need you to be with me tonight. I need you to talk back to me tonight second Kings chapter two. I mean, second Kings chapter five. I'm going to start reading at verse one. It'll be on the screens for you. You're going to want to take some notes tonight. You're going to want to jot down some things that the Holy Spirit just speaks to you in a prophetic kind of environment like this. He'll be talking to you all throughout this service. Sometimes through what I'm saying, sometimes just through whispers, through verses that he's going to speak. So I need you to be expectant and I need you to be open and say, Holy Spirit, I am ready to hear from you tonight. I want everything that God has for me tonight. I don't know about you. 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1. Here we go. It says, the king of Aram had great admiration for Naaman, the commander of his army. Because through him, the Lord had given Aram great victories. But though Naaman was a mighty warrior, he suffered from leprosy. Everybody say leprosy. And at this time, Aramean raiders had invaded the land of Israel, and among their captives was a young girl who had been given, most uh, scholars and commentators would agree this young girl was probably around the age of 12 or so. And so this young girl, uh, the servant girl of Naaman, one day the girl said to her, or, uh, sorry, had invaded the land of Israel, and among their captives was a young girl, probably around age 12 or so, who had been given to Naaman's wife as a maid, Verse three says one day the girl said to her mistress or her master, I wish my master, the husband Naaman would go to see the prophet in Samaria. He would heal him of his leprosy. Verse four says, so Naaman told the king, um, Benhadad Ben Hadad was the king at that time. So Naaman told the king, King Ben, uh, ben- What the young girl from Israel had said, go and visit the prophet, the king of Aram told him. I will send a letter of introduction for you to take to the king of Israel. So Naaman started out carrying as gifts 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. Now verse 6 says, the letter to the king of Israel said, with this letter... I present my servant, Naaman. Everybody say Naaman. I want you to heal him of his leprosy. Verse seven says, when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes in dismay and said, this man sends me a leopard to heal. Am I a God that I can give life or take it away? I can see that he's just trying to pick a fight with me. Now, the backstory, let me pause here for a second, was that, gosh, they have been in such war, so the Syrians had invaded Israel so many times. This is how he got the 12-year-old servant girl. So he thought the king was just sending him a letter to antagonize him, to ask him of this impossible task, because in that day and hour, leprosy would be the equivalent of AIDS. There was no natural or known cure for it. So he gets this letter with this impossible, task. And he says, am I a God that I can give life? There's no way. So surely he must be picking a fight with me. Does he really want to go to war with us again? So he tears his clothes in dismay and he sends this message to him. Why? Oh, so he tears his clothes in dismay. So verse eight, but when D- Elisha, the man of God heard that the King of Israel had torn his clothes in dismay, he sent this message to him. Why are you so upset? Send Naaman, To me, and he will learn that there is a true prophet here in Israel. Verse 9: So Naaman went with his horses and his chariots and waited at the door of Elisha's house. But Elisha sent a messenger out to him with this message: Go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River, then your skin will be restored. And you'll be healed of your leprosy. Verse 11 says, but Naaman became angry, stalked away. I thought he would certainly come out to meet me, he said. I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy and call on the name of the Lord, his God, and, and heal me. Verse 12. Aren't the rivers of Damascus, the Abana, and the Farpa better than any of the rivers in Israel? Why shouldn't I wash in them and be healed? So Naaman turned and went away in rage. Verse 13, but his officers tried to reason with him and said, sir, 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 if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? So you should certainly obey him when he says simply, go, wash, and be cured. Verse 14, so Naaman went down to the Jordan River dipped himself seven times as the man of God had instructed him. And his skin became as healthy as the skin of a young child's and he was healed. Isn't that good? It's just the word of God. I want to preach you from a message i entitled tonight, Desperate Times Call for Desperate Measures. Bow your heads. Father, thank you for the power in your word tonight. I ask for the kingdom of God to come alive in this room, in an unprecedented way, come and manifest yourself, oh Jesus. Holy Spirit, we invite you into this room to glorify Jesus Christ and to demonstrate to a generation that there is a very real God with real power, with real love, with real hope in his hands. And he wants to man himself, manifest himself to us here tonight. I ask for the kingdom of God with signs and wonders to be established in every heart tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Somebody say, desperate times call for desperate measures. Desperate times call for desperate measures. Desperate times call for desperate. Have you ever been in a desperate situation? I mean, I'm talking about like a moment in time, a tragedy that happened. I've been in several desperate situations throughout the course of my life, ranging from general things, where I'm from in Louisiana, way, way down south. It's kind of like Hurricane Central. I remember multiple times where it was like, oh God, the all hell is breaking loose. It's like Armageddon in water. It's just heading towards my state, and waters rise, and people's houses are floating down the street. Oh God, like what are we going to, where are we going to go? The tree Desperate times call for desperate measures. I remember multiple Times I was so sick one time. I'll tell you, you remembers this. I, I I kind of like passed out. I was just about to go. It was about maybe six years ago in our youth ministry, and I was about to pass out and had to be brought to the hospital. All sorts of weird things, um, just was going on in my body. Like it was just a spiritual attack. I was like desperate. I was literally like on the floor, crawling, like drive me to the hospital. I don't know. All right, so so desperate times in our physical body. Desperate times in situations. Desperate times years ago. I remember a desperate moment. I was on. On my, uh, my very first out-of-state youth trip uh, that i had taken my youth group to back in 2007, getting a phone call in this moment of desperation that my mom and dad were about to divorce and all these things were about to happen and the enemy was trying to wreak havoc in our home. Desperate times call for desperate measures. I remember in that moment, I walked out of the hotel room, left 60 or 70 kids who were on this field tr- on this uh, youth conference in Atlanta, Georgia, at Jensen Franklin's Forward Conference, 2007, walked outside, went to a parking lot and just began to pray like a wild man. Why? Because I was desperate. Desperate times call for desperate measures. I remember whenever I was applying to different colleges and I was like, gosh, this, there's so much money that's involved here. And gosh, I didn't come, like I didn't grow up in this super duper wealthy family. I'm like, I want to go to college. I remember fasting and praying and asking the Lord for supernatural doors of financial miracles to open up. And it turns out I ended up getting more money in scholarships than what I actually needed that allowed me to live off campus and live in a rental house. Three and a half years of college and get funding and pay for all these things because desperate times call for desperate measures. I remember when I had just personal struggles and wanting to be free in my life and saying, God, I want to be the man of God that you have called me to be. I remember setting my face like a flint before the Lord and saying, God, I will fast 40 days. I will, I will, I am fasting before you as an acknowledgement of my obedience because I felt that it was, that's what he was calling me to do. And I remember at the end of that 40 day fast, the addictions broke off of my life and in freedom, I was released to be who God created me to be. Why? Because desperate times call for desperate measures. was in a desperate place in my life. Has anybody been in a desperate place in your life? Come on. And so so desperate times call for desperate measures. And I feel like tonight maybe behind the smile there's an entirely different story and a situation that's taking place in your life and in your heart. Even as I was praying today, I felt like the Holy Spirit just saying, there are some desperate people on this retreat. And it's more than gosh, I brought them here so that they can encounter me and encounter my glory, that they may get a taste of what I have for them, a taste of the age to come. As Hebrews says, I need to encourage them. I need to bring them revelation and hope tonight to let them know that everything's going to be okay if they would just lean in and press into me. And realize that they're in the middle of a desperate situation, a desperate moment, because desperate times call for. Naaman was in a moment, a season of desperation in his life. Naaman was in a desperate place. See, Naaman was a man of great status. And incredible accolades. And his reputation had gone before him. Naaman had won so many battles. And the Bible says though Naaman was a Syrian. That the Lord had empowered Naaman to win victories for the king. And so Naaman had all of this strength. And all of these accomplishments and accolades. But he had one issue. Leprosy. See there was something going on in Naaman's life. That all of his strength, all of his grandiose power, authority, and influence could not help him with. And the Lord will allow certain seasons and things to take place in our life where we feel like, gosh, I'm just being attacked by the devil. And I want you to know that there are some seasons where the Lord will allow things to come your way to where you can realize, oh, I'm in the middle of a desperate place. What are you going to do? Because it's what you do in moments of desperation that really determine who's on the throne of your heart. What do you do whenever you're desperate? Do you run to some weird addiction? Do you run to some, some shallow um, relationship that, that, that God never ordained, that he never called you to, that he never spoke and revealed that you should be in? What do you do when you're desperate? Because what you do when you're desperate really reveals the motive. And the intention of your heart. Come on, somebody. Naaman was in a desperate place. He had leprosy. Lepers in Israel were required to live outside of the camp, according to. Numbers and so just even society, it would be a little bit different for Naaman because Naaman was not an Israelite, he was a Syrian. So Naaman wouldn't have to technically walk around crying out unclean, unclean, because ceremonially he didn't give a rip about the law, anyways, because he wasn't he wasn't a believer, he wasn't an Israelite, he wasn't following the Torah, he wasn't following the laws of God, but it was still very much so a well-known issue throughout the world. Leprosy and it's hard. For us, Even in today's language, we have nothing really to compare what le- leprosy is because the direct translation, is, it just says all kinds of skin diseases. We don't even really know what, what, the, what the cause or, or what it was uh, to, to that effect. But this disease was regarded as an awful punishment by some from the Lord. So he had a need. He was in desperation. A need that, only, that could only be met by the supernatural. He needed a miracle. He needed the God of the ages to break into his world. And I just sense by the Holy Ghost tonight that some of us here tonight are in a similar position as Naaman. There is a need, there is a desire, perhaps there's an issue that's taking place in your world that only divine intervention... Only the hand of God breaking into your world can heal, fix, restore, or deliver. So verse 3 tells us that Naaman was in this desperate place... And all of a sudden, God sends, uh, God sends a, a word to him through this young girl. So, but before Naaman, before Naaman could encounter the divine hand of God, the miracle working power of God, there was someone who God had brought his way in order to instruct him. See, when God wants to bless you, he sends the right people into your life. You've got to have enough sense to realize whenever God is wanting to bless you by sending the right people into your life. Naaman could have looked at this 12-year-old little servant girl and said, well, she's not worth a whole lot. I'm just gonna, what a fool he would have been because he never would have received instructions as to where he could go to find his miracle and to find his healing. And I'm just saying, could it be that over the course of this weekend, the Lord has sent some people into your life and you've been too arrogant or too, too caught up in whatever your expectations are to realize there's a miracle friendship that the Lord is wanting to bless you with because toxic friendships and relationships will do more to pull you away from God than anything else on the face of this planet. Could it be? So the serving girl, so she just starts talking She's talking and, 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 and again, commentators would say the way in which she said it in the Hebrew that it's written, it's kind of like she was like, gosh, I just she, so she talked to Naaman's wife and said, oh, I mean, it was almost in a sense where it's like, oh, if I could if I could just get um, get Naaman just connected with with this prophet, Elisha and Israel, like. I mean, I just, I just know he would be healed. I mean, it was almost kind of like this, this hypothetical, like, it wasn't like she said, all right, I, I got to, like, I know, see, see, the Lord will use sometimes the simple things, he says, to confound the wise, and so she just has this conversation, then work is back to Naaman, okay, and then he starts to kind of take her, take her, take her seriously, and so he listens to his 12-year-old servant girl, hears about a prophet in Israel, why? Because desperate times call for desperate measures, right? I'm sure he had tried anything and everything but this leprosy was not going away what's the thing that you've tried anything and everything to get rid of to get clarity on to get peace about to get hope about and it's still sitting there looking at you in the face that's the position naming was in so it's kind of like this time to call for this measures I'll, I'll go so naming goes to the king king benadad Hadad. and and he says hey um I've heard that there is this man of God, somebody in Israel, that may I may be able to be healed. And I just, I just, I want to try it out. So the king gives him his blessing, and he says, okay, I'm gonna cover you. I'm gonna send you a a, a letter to the king of Israel, and let and let's like let's gather some things together. Let's gather some supplies and some and some clothes, and I'm gonna I'm gonna send you with these things. See, see Naaman takes money. And clothes to the king of Israel in an attempt to pay for his miracle. To pay for this blessing that he's wanting. And mistake number one, and it's so common for so many of us. It's the wrong, see here's the wrong question. What can I do to earn God's approval and attention? See, when our question should be, here's the right question. What has God done to earn my approval? and attention. It was kind of touched on Romans 12. Beloved, I just beg of you that, that you would take in full view the mercies of God. Would you just look at how merciful God has been to you by sending Jesus on a cross, by breathing breath into your body on the daily basis. See, once you get a revelation of how good God is and all that God has done, the God of the ages to earn a place of trust and love and respect and admiration in your heart in full view. Of the goodness of God, Paul says, I just urge you that you would just present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to the Lord. For this is your spiritual act of worship or your reasonable act of service. And so he goes to the king and the king says, remember, remember." the king just tears his, tears his clothes and says, oh, gosh, she's asking for a fight. We're about to go to war. Elisha gets wind of it. And Elisha sends a note, right, to the king. And he says, okay, um, why are you so upset? See, send Naaman to me. Send the problem to me. And and he will learn that there is a true prophet here in Israel. What? Because Elisha interpreted this as a moment and an opportunity to reveal the power of God. And if we are going to be who God has called and created us to be, We are going to have to start looking whenever people come to us with their problems. We can't get discouraged. We can't grow faint of heart. We can't mourn and weep and fall out. No, we look at it as an opportunity for God to reveal his glory. So whenever your friends begin approaching you with all their depression and their suicidal thoughts or their sexual addictions or their temptations, it's not for you to say, oh God, what are we going to do? It's a moment For you to press into God. So that you can be an instrument of revealing the glory of God in your generation. But you cannot give what you do not have. And you cannot perpetuate what you have not first experienced and encountered at the heart level. You can't give what you don't have. You can't release what you haven't received. The Bible says in Acts That freely the apostles gave. Freely we have received. So freely we will give. But you've got to be in a posture. Of receiving before the Lord. Before you can give anything away. Otherwise what you give. Is not going to be good enough. We are simply vessels that he flows through. Don't get it twisted. We are a messy wreck without the Holy Spirit of God living on the inside of us. Without the blood of Jesus that has washed every single one of us. We are a filthy, messy wreck. And always remember that. It's the glory of God that makes the difference on your life. Amen. So we receive from him. We receive, we receive. And then we give out. We got to receive. See, there is a prophetic people group here tonight. Even as I was praying, I just felt like the Lord was saying, I can't speak for every other church. I can't speak for every youth group. I can only speak for DSM. That there is a prophetic people who carry the power of God for the teenagers in our city to touch and bless and effect change in a generation. And so if we do this thing right, come on. If you're going to give God praise, go ahead and give him praise. I'm play with it. And so if we... If we do this thing right, if we do this thing right, then yes, there is a prophetic atmosphere that even on Wednesday nights, whenever you bring in your friends who have all sorts of bondages and I don't care what they've been facing and how long they've been facing it, they can walk into a service, encounter the life changing presence of Jesus Christ and they will leave differently. They will leave differently because they've experienced his glory. He wants to return his glory to youth ministries across the nation. He's looking for a place to dwell somewhere where they say, gosh, Holy Spirit, you just come and and we'll just be conduits. It's not about us. It's not about we'll get out of the way. And so we'll just whenever you walk in the room, just come and just do your thing. Jesus, the glory of God, I believe it with all my heart. And so prophetically, I feel like there's a prophetic people here tonight. This is a prophetic youth ministry. You guys have been anointed for such a time as this. And so tonight, ultimately, every teenager in our city needs to know that there is An answer that there is real hope. Come on. That we carry within us. Pastor Dan said it so beautifully today alluding to the scripture where where Paul says outwardly we're wasting away but there's an inner glory that is growing on the inside of us and so it matters very little to us what we're facing or what we're walking through as long as the glory of God is being cultivated in our heart so we don't have time to just play around and just well we're just gonna know somebody's got to care somebody's gotta look at your school somebody's gotta look at the generation somebody Somebody's got to hear and and, and have their hearts broken about car accidents that happen because drunk teenagers are going from one party to another and then they die. And then, and then somebody's got to care enough to do something about it. Somebody's got to care. And I'm not talking about some little patty patty cake kind of, well, oh, that's so sad. And then we move on. No, it's absolute tragic. It's demonic. It's straight from the pits of hell. God never ordained it. He didn't want it. He didn't cause it to happen. But here we are. So we've got to say not on our watch in the name of Jesus because we carry within us the glory of God. Come on, the glory of God. That's about half of you. Just give me 12. If we can just have 12 of you really lock in and get this. I believe that Colorado Springs can be turned upside down for the glory of God. I just believe. I just believe. Call me a dreamer. And so there's real power. There's real glory that he wants to pour out tonight. That we may be a conduit. Verses 9 through 12, one more time, says, so Naaman went with his horses and his chariots because Elisha summons him, right? And so Naaman takes his horses, all his chariots, and, and he waits at the door of Elisha's house. Now, Elisha sent a messenger out to him with this message, okay? Now check this out, because remember I told you that Naaman was a guy of high esteem, that he was so well known. It kind of be like a government official, someone like the, like our mayor or the, or the governor of our state, just kind of coming to our house. And, and instead of like even talking to him, we kind of send out someone else in proxy and say, okay, I don't, we don't even need to converse. We just, you know, um, here's what needs to happen. And and just go and, and and do it. And so so Naaman gets there and Elisha doesn't even doesn't even come out. Now Elisha's not on a power trip, but Elisha needs for Naaman to know it's not about uh me, it's about the glory of God. See, I can't really see, here's the word of the Lord. This is what you need to do. Now do it. And so so, nine through nine. so Naaman went with his horse and chariots, waited at the door of Elisha's house. But Elisha sent a messenger out to him with this message. Go and wash yourself seven times. Everybody say seven times. In the Jordan River, then your skin will be restored. And you will be healed of your leprosy. But Naaman became angry and stalked away. Why? Because he had made assumptions. He said, okay, I've, um, I have this expectation. I know what I need. I need to be healed. And some kind of way, Naaman had just kind of concluded in himself... Oh, I know what's going to happen. And and here's what what needs to to happen. This is kind of what's going on in Naaman's heart. And so he's, okay, he's going to wave his hand over me. The leprosy is going to go away. I'll be fine. This whole thing will be done. Bada bing, bada bang. I'm done. I'm out of here. And I'll leave a little thank you, you know, silver and gold on the way. But God has different plans. And aren't we so glad that in moments whenever we think we have all the answers and we see, I think that a lot of us are like Naaman. Whenever we come to God with a problem, we also kind of come to him with a solution saying, here's my problem, God. And let me just offer you a few solutions. And maybe if you could select A, B or or C, you know, and so here's your options, God. And, and here's what I'm willing to do. And like, here's what I'm not willing to do. So here I am. And, and like as dumb as Naaman felt, that's how we'll continue to feel whenever the voice of God goes silent in our lives. Because we have offered him an ultimatum as if we are God and he is man. See, when we come to God, scripture tells us, Hebrews chapter 6, he who comes to God must first believe that God is That God is what, that God is everything that God has told us that He is. I am that I am. I am the one who sits on the circle of the earth. Heaven is my throne, and earth is my footstool. I am the one who has spoken and literally flung the stars into the heaven. Do you realize who I am? Because we've got to clearly establish that. And so Naaman gets upset. Stumps away, goes back to his house, talks to his, talks to his friends in his house. Guys, you won't believe the stupid prophet told me to do. You ready for this? He told me to go I get in the Jordan River and context here is everything. We think of the Jordan as this beautiful, wonderful, uh, blue, uh, salty, uh, uh, pristine water. But you've got to understand that the Jordan was one of the filthiest, dirtiest, nastiest bodies of water in the world at that time. And so that's why he offers his suggestions. Hey, instead of, and he names off three different rivers, guess where he told me to go? The Jordan River, dog. I mean, he's just, he's just talking. The Jordan, the Jordan, the Jordan, ah, the Jordan. What? And so it's like the Kevin Hart face, ah, you know. And so there's, and so and so the friends, so the friends are like, well, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Desperate times call for desperate measures. And then they begin to counsel him, saying, let see if 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 he would ask you to do something difficult." Amen, bro, let me just talk to you for a second. Why don't you give this a try? Because, because desperate times call for desperate measures. And had he given you some, some difficult, like seemingly, like really spiritual, like task, you would have done it but now that he's given you something so so easy see once again his expectation was something totally different than what he came face to face with sometimes our expectations whenever we come to god are a direct mismatch not the same thing and then we're perplexed and confused and we're left there pondering why is why isn't this working out Well, sometimes we just kind of need to drop our expectations of the solution and come before God with empty hands saying, Lord, whatever you have for me and whatever instructions you give me, I'm going to do. Why? Because I'm in a desperate place. Because I'm in a desperate place. And so the instructions that God gives us are often simple, but it does not always make sense. The instructions of God are often simple, but they do not always make sense. Why is that? Well, 1 Corinthians 1.27 says, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. See, how can it be? That two or three people may be praying for a school campus daily or weekly or monthly. How could it be that that could begin to shake a school where revival is poured out? You think, surely there's got to be more. And God says, no, no, no. Because my instructions, it's so simple. I've just called you to pray. You don't have to produce anything. You don't have to make things up. I've just called. This is simple. It's just Pray. Just call out to me. Just stand in the place. Declare my name and believe that I will show up in power. And I'll show up when I want to. But here are your instructions. And obedience is everything in the kingdom of God. Obedience is everything. Simple instructions. but so hard to follow. You see, out of Naaman's desperation. He thinks about it, kind of ponders on it a little bit. The worship team will just kind of make your way up here. He ponders about it and he, and he just begins thinking to himself, I've been in this place for so long. I've had this physical pain and I have this incurable disease And I've gone to so many people and they have not been able to help me to where he starts to think about it. And he says, uh, maybe I need to give, maybe I need to give this thing a try. And so he begins to allow the spirit of him, allow that which God has called him to do to supersede and override his own logic and his reason. So it, so then the atmosphere is set for the miraculous. See, once you step out of a wholehearted dependence on your own logic and your own reason, only The atmosphere becomes set for God to invade your world with a miracle. Because when you come to the end of yourself, you come to the beginning of him. But some of us are so caught up in ourselves, in our own intellect, in our own understanding, in our own experience, that we completely miss the move of God that the Lord is waiting to bring into your world. And so Naaman thinks about it. And can you just see Naaman just pacing here? And he's he's thinking, man, that... Jordan River is so, so filthy and uh, I just, I mean, I'm a, I'm a man of, of, of stature and uh, but, but, but this is what the man of God and therefore God is, is calling me to do. And so desperate times call for desperate measures. I'm just, I'm just crazy enough to believe that maybe God wants to do something great. And so can you see this thing begin to play out and Naaman goes into the Jordan? Can you see him? And he stands there. And one time he, he dips. And he counts. He says, one, I still got this leprosy, but I'm desperate. I can't stay here. I've got to go on. So two times. He's standing there and his friends are around. And he looks stupid. He looks like an idiot. He looks like a desperate man. And then he says, two, three times. Three. He's thinking about the word of the Lord. And he's thinking about getting out of the Jordan now. Three times and I've still got this leprosy. I've tried. I've tried. And I've tried again. But wait a minute. The word of the Lord came to me through the man of God. I got seven times. So four, here we go. It's four, God. Four times. And the water smells bad around and he sees my, I look like an idiot but I'm desperate and I don't care what my servants my friends think about me because I cannot stay here five oh God. two more times two, three, four, five six seven what are they going to think? Oh, wait a minute. I don't care what they think. There's this inward struggle going on on the inside of him. Is this really going to happen to me? Because I've been in this place before where I've put so much of my hope. In. And I've just been disappointed so many times. You guys just don't understand. But desperate times. Go for desperate measures. Six six times. Six times. Am I really going to go through with this? God, I don't even know if I trust you all the way. I don't even know you. I've only heard about you. And he's now, he's reconsidering the whole thing. A 12 year old, girl from a nation that I've conquered multiple t- and this prophet that wouldn't even come out to meet me he must not think a whole lot about me he probably doesn't even like me so why would he tell me the truth of what God says Is he, did he just send me out here to make a fool of me but here we go seven wait a minute my skin's not itching anymore and the color has returned to me and and so surely God has come through God has come through for me because desperate times because desperate times call for desperate measures And can you see Naaman coming out of the Jordan and for the first time in a long time he's no longer embarrassed he's no longer in shame because he looks down and he says I'm all wet but but I'm healed but I'm free but I'm restored but I'm delivered see God's coming through for me but I'm filled. See, sometimes in order to receive something you've never received, you've got to do something you've never done. It's that whole faith walk. And then scripture goes on to tell us, in Naaman, see, once God comes through for you in such a way, and your obedience has brought you to a place of the miraculous There is no going back. See, like I was talking about last night, this idea of coming to the Jordan. Coming, see, could it be that Elisha, there's a connection here because Elisha was at the Jordan whenever it was at the Jordan River, the last place where he saw Elijah begin to ascend and Elijah had made Elisha a practice uh, a promise. He says if you see me when I ascend, ask anything and the Lord will give it to you Elisha. So could it be out of the prophetic experience that Elisha had? He knows Jordan River, God uses the foolish things of man to confound the wise could it be that Elisha was prophesying even out of his own experience saying there's something about obedience to God that doesn't make sense to anybody else where the resources of heaven all of a sudden become available because we've reached a place where we just don't care because desperate times call for desperate measures Elisha didn't have to go verify. Elisha didn't have to go and say, well, I wonder if it worked." No, why? Well, because Elisha was a man of God. He stood in the council of God. And I am telling you, there is a generation, the Bible speaks of a prophetic generation that will rise up in the spirit of the prophet Elijah. But you've got to understand that the same spirit that was on Elijah was transferred to Elisha. So everything that was fulfilled in both of these prophets' life. whenever we say the spirit of Elijah, we're talking about both and I'm just telling you God wants to raise up in this hour uh, a generation that walks in the spirit of Elijah who we know our God so we begin speaking forth the word of God with full faith and full assurance that he will come through he is strong and mighty to save he is strong to deliver and healing is in his hands he is the one who spoke to the winds and the waves and they must obey him. This is our God. Desperate times call for desperate measures. So what is it you're desperate for tonight? What is your issue? What is the thing that keeps holding you back? What is the hurt that has occurred in your life that for the first time in your natural life, the Holy Spirit's bringing it up saying you're in a desperate place and desperate times call for desperate measures and now I'm requiring of you simple obedience that does not make sense to you or any of your little friends around you, but it makes perfect sense to me. And if you will obey, you will see my hand come upon your life because I am good and because I am faithful. I am not like man. I cannot lie. He literally cannot lie because he is the embodiment of truth. Do you understand that? desperate times call for desperate measures I believe the Holy Spirit is calling you out of a place of desperation tonight to bring you to a place of obedience see God will use desperation final thought here to bring obedience into your life God will use desperation to bring obedience. It's when you can't do it. Wow, this problem is so big. And God's saying, that's exactly where I have placed you. Matter of fact, I have ordained for you to be right in the middle of that mess. So that I could get some obedience out of you. Because far too long you've been singing about obedience and you ain't doing nothing but just singing lies. And now I am requiring truth out of you because there is a level of truth that I need you to bring to a generation, but you can't give what you don't have. So your intentions are cute and they are good and they're powerful, but you can't give what you don't have. You can't manifest what you don't walk in. He'll never do in light what you are hiding in the darkness. He'll he'll never bring forth in the light which you won't bring forth in the darkness with you and him and he's just around. That's, see, it's got to be real. There's an authenticity that the Lord wants to bring to your walk with him and in him tonight like never before. So as you sit there tonight, you can kind of put your Bible and your whatever, just away or to the side, but we serve a talking Jesus, the voice of the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit. He's filling this room. And over time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. They've got a vision and a mission for their life.